Grab your program. We are in week six of experiencing God, how to know and know and do God's will. And today I want to talk to you about crisis of belief. If you want to know God's will, and I assume you want to know God's will because you're here. And if you want to do God's will, if you know since knowing God's will if you're not going to do it kind of a thing. If you want to know God's will and you want to do God's will, then this particular message today is critical because we all come to these points in our lives where we know what God wants us to do. We just can't do it. It's a crisis of belief. When we have an idea of what God wants us to do or we know what God wants us to do, he's asking us to do, well, we're just too afraid and we can't do it. That's called a crisis of belief. Whenever we face a crisis of belief, that is a test of our faith. So if you've got your program, um, turn it inside out there. A couple of things for you to jot down, and you'll see that. If Hebrews 6, the first verse, way up there at the top of your outline, says, is it, we've talked about this verse several times in this series already. It says that it is impossible to please God. In fact, why don't you circle impossible? It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him, just like that verse that Jennifer read to us from Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Just like that verse says. It's impossible to please God without faith. Now, why do you have to have faith? Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, because when we discover God's will, we're going to find that when God is asking us to do something, he always, when he asks us to do something, it always makes us a little uncertain. God is always going to ask us to do something, and it's going to push us outside of our comfort zone. And you know what happens when you get outside of your comfort zone? It's uncomfortable, by definition, right? I'm comfortable. I get pushed away from uncomfortable. I'm outside of my comfort zone, and it's a little bit scary. That's the crisis of belief when we have to ask ourselves, do I really believe what God said he's going to do that he'll do it? Or do I really believe that God is who he says he is? Do we believe that God's going to do what he says he's going to do? And do we believe that God is who he says he is? Now, if we trust God, even when we're afraid, even when it's uncomfortable, if we trust God and God comes through for us, when he does that, our faith grows. It grows exponentially. It grows so that the next time we come around and we have another crisis of belief and we have to trust him with something even more, we can build on that. We're going, well, you know, God, he was faithful here. He was faithful there. He was faithful back then. I believe I could trust him. That he's, he's proven his faithfulness. When we come to a crisis of faith, if we will trust God, if we will push through it, step past it, trust him, with it we're going to see that he's there he's faithful and our faith is going to grow stronger and then it's easier to trust him each time after that that's the beauty of working through or walking through the crisis of belief now if you look at the diagram that i've included on the bottom of your outline we've been talking about this diagram every week we call this the seven realities of experiencing god diagram and you'll see the steps that we've already taken so far the first one there, the first reality is that God is always at work around us, and you've been seeing God at work 
around you as you've been asking him to to reveal that to you. The second one is that God is a relationship that God can, he's continually pursuing a love relationship with us that is real and personal. The third one, third reality says that God invites us to join him in the work that he's doing. That's so cool. That's what Pastor Rich talked about two weeks ago. And then last week I talked to you about how God speaks, how God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit, four different ways. Today, as we transition, you see how it kind of, it makes a triangle there, and, and then God, God's work, relationship, invitation, God speaks, and then you make this, this turn. You turn the corner at number, uh, I guess it's not a corner in a triangle, is it? You turn the point, and, and you come to this crisis of belief. We get to the fifth reality of experiencing God. I want you to write it down. It says, God's invitation for me to work with him always leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. It requires faith and action. Now, some of you are facing your own crisis of belief in your life right now. God is showing you his will. He's inviting you to join him. And maybe it's scary. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you don't know what to do. I'll give you some examples. Maybe he's asking you to quit your job and try something different. And that's terrifying. Maybe he's asking you to change your major in school. And you're thinking, I can't tell my parents this again. Maybe he's asking you to get out of a relationship that you're in right now and to trust him that if you do that, that he will bring somebody even better into your life. Maybe you're going through a hard time in your marriage and and he's asking you to trust him that he's going to make your marriage better. Maybe he's asking you to have a conversation with a coworker about your faith. Or maybe even asking you to have a conversation with your coworker to invite them to come to church with you on Easter. You're thinking and I, I know about the cinnamon rolls. I don't know if that's going to be enough to get me through this, Jerry. You know, this guy's intimidating. I think there's going to be a lot of people who come back to church this Easter who haven't been in a long, long time. Because now that they're feeling like, hey, you know, church is getting back to normal. We've been back to normal for a while. Or not really normal, but look at the people around. As normal as we can be, right? We've been back to regular. Um, <laughs> don't point at anybody. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be something big that God's telling you, or it could be something small that God's discussing with you. But discovering God's will always leads us to this crisis of belief, and here's why. I'm going to give you three truths about God's will that kind of explain why we end up at this crisis of belief, why it pushes us out of our comfort zone, why we're not like, yeah, let's go do this, Lord, why we're paused and we're like, ah, you got the wrong guy, kind of a moment. Anytime God shows you his will or he asks you to do something, it causes this, this panic, this crisis, 100% of the time. And here's why. Three truths about God's will that lead to the crisis of belief. I want you to fill in these bullets there on your outline. The first one is that God's will is seldom what I initially want. Isn't that true? What God wants me to do is seldom what I, what I want to do or what I was thinking in, to begin with, the truth is God's will, it doesn't line up with our plans. 
What God wants you to do is not usually what you want God to want you to do. Now, I was thinking, God, you would have me, you know, be an NFL football player. I mean, I could think all the impact I could have on the planet if you let me do that, right? God's like, yeah, not my plan. You're heavy enough, just not tall enough kind of thing, right? So, you're not, Jerry, you're not going to be an NFL football player. So I'll be an NFL fan instead, and even that's hard. <laughs> Dolphin fans are riding high. We always win the offseason, y'all, Okay. This is what happens. This is how it works. We tend, we tend to make our own plans. You've been making your plans or you've been letting other people make their plans for your life, your whole life. But we tend to develop our plans around ourselves, around our desires, and around what we want. But God's plans are far bigger than that. God's plans aren't just about us. God's plans just aren't about our little family. They're about the entire world. God's plans are bigger than us. And when he shows us what he wants us to do to participate in his big plan for the whole world, we push back. We say, well, God, that, that's not what I want to do. I had different plans than that. And this leads us to this crisis of belief. Am I going to hold on to my plans? Or am I going to trust God? with my plans and accept that maybe his plans are even better than my plans. Now, there's another reason why God's will always leads to a crisis of belief. Number one, his will is seldom my, what I want initially. Number two, God's will is always more than I can do alone. God's will is always more than I can do alone. God will never ask us to do something that is easy for us to accomplish on our own. God doesn't come and say, hey, I really need you to, I really need you to do this thing that you're really, really good at. It's very easy for you. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'll help you out, God, kind of thing. Let me repeat that. God will never ask us. He's never going to ask us to do something that we could easily accomplish on our own without him. Here's the reason. God's not that interested in getting that thing done. He's interested in that relationship with us. He's interested in us learning to trust him. He's not that interested in getting the task done. Oh, I can do this task. Well, ask me, God, I can do that. God's like, no, I'm, I'm not asking you, Jerry. I'm asking someone over here who's not good at this to do that task. Why? Because I'm going to create a crisis of belief so they'll learn to trust me. I can get the task done myself, God says. God, his will for each of us, it always pushes us out of our comfort zone. It makes us feel uncomfortable. God's will is never comfortable. It, by the way, God's will, he, it never really allows us to take it easy. It's never the status quo. I know some of you are thinking, but I'm retired, you know. I, I'm, just, I'm ready to take it easy. God is not ready for you to take it easy even if you're retired. And you might push back on that. You're already at your crisis. You're not even believing this. That's a cause and a crisis of belief. You say, well, I, I thought God was done with me. I'm done with his plan. <sighs> Do that. If you can feel breath on your hand, God's not done with you. God still has a plan for your life. In fact, we're going to discuss Moses in just a second. Moses was 80 years old. We have a few 80-year-olds in our church, several of them. Most of them get up early. They're at the early service. They're like, God doesn't promise me tomorrow, Jerry. He didn't even promise me next hour. I'm coming to church early. 
kind of their attitude. But I told them in the early service, and if there's an 80 or so year old in here, I don't want to leave you out. If you're over 80, God still has a plan for you. Or 70 or 60 or 50. He has a plan or a will. Now sometimes we get to this spot and we have to ask ourselves, am I going to trust him or not? Because I have to admit, it causes doubts. Sometimes you have a crisis of belief because it's your desire, right? I don't want to do that. I, was, well, I want to do something else. Other times you have this crisis of belief because, because of a doubt. I don't think I can do this. Sometimes it's the doubt that causes us to think, you know, I don't believe that God can do it. And we don't like to say that. We think, well, God can do anything until he says, okay, here, Jerry, join me. I'm going to do this through you. So, whoa, 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 you can do anything, but you, I don't know if you can do it through me. I'm the wrong guy. I'm the wrong gal, you might say. So God is, God's will is always more than I can do alone, and it scares us because he wants us to trust him to help us to do it. Here's the, here's the good news. This is the third part. God's will is never more than I can do with him. God's will is never more than I can do, and I want you to circle the last two words there, with him. When God asks us to do something, it's always more than we can do on our own. That's what creates the crisis of belief. That's what creates all the doubt. That's what creates the, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not the right person. But it's, God never asks us to do anything that is too difficult for us to do with him. Here's why. He wants us to learn to rely on him more and on ourselves less. Now, that's hard for us as Americans because we've been told or we've been taught be self-reliant, self-reliant, self-reliant. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Now, we've been taught this, and most of us don't, don't succeed at this. But we have that mindset of, no, 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 I've got to rely on myself. And God says, no, no, Jerry, I want you to quit relying on yourself. Look at the mess you've made. And I want you to learn to rely on me. So I'm going to ask you to do stuff that's going to pull you out of your comfort zone. So the only way you're going to be able to do it is to trust me. And when you trust me and I show up and help you, it's going to build your faith, and you're going to grow stronger in your faith and stronger in your relationship with me. That's God's goal. It's not to get the task done. It's not to get his will done. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to learn to trust him. He wants you to live his plan for your life, not because he wants his plan done, but he wants you to experience him. Experiencing God is the name of this series. Knowing and doing God's will so we can experience him. He wants us to learn to rely on him and to trust in him and less than on ourselves. Because of these three truths, there's obviously we're going to come to this spot and if we will trust him, if we will push through, we can live our best life when we face this crisis of belief. The question is, will I believe that God's plan is the best plan? That it's not too hard for him, and I'm willing to trust him to take that next step of faith, or for some of us it feels like a leap of faith. So here's what I want to tackle today. When you experience this crisis, when it feels too big, what God's asking me to do feels too big for me to handle it on my own, or I don't want God's will because it's not really my plan anyway. How do I navigate through this crisis of belief? How do I have a godly response in the face of a crisis of belief? And there's four things or four, four kind of steps we have to take to respond to this crisis of belief in a godly way. The first one I want you to write down 
is I wrestle with God in prayer. I wrestle with God in prayer. That's the first response. First thing we do when we come to a crisis of belief, when we start this dialogue with God, we share with Him what's on our heart. Share with Him your doubts. Share with Him your fears. Share with Him your desires. I don't want to do this, God. I, I had another plan, God. We wrestle with God. This is exactly what Moses did. And in the Old Testament, God meets Moses at the burning bush. God invites Moses to join him in his plan to rescue and deliver the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. In fact, when he asked him to do this, Moses realized, you're asking me to put my life on the line. Moses' life was about to get a lot harder. He's 80 years old. He's almost in semi-retirement. He's out taking care of a few sheep, and as soon as his father-in-law dies, he's going to be able to inherit all of that and be fully retired and live off of his 401k. You know, he's already he's already getting Social Security. Um, and he's like, God, you know, I'm, I'm an old man. I'm 80 years old. I'm... Look what his response is. He has all these excuses. I'm not going to read them all to you. But his response in verse 11, But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And if you want to go back and read this passage, I talked about it in the first message of the series. It's like 11 times. He says, No, 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 you got the wrong guy. God says, Hey, Moses, I want you to come help me rescue the people of Israel from Egypt. Moses doesn't pipe him and go, man, that sounds like a great idea, God, let's go. That's not Moses' response. Moses' response is to wrestle with God over this. No, you have to, oh, I had other plans, but, you know, I'm old. I, I, I don't even speak well. They're not going to follow me. You know, I've got some problems back there in my past. I've got a past. What's happening here? Moses knows what God wants him to do. He doesn't want to do it. You think, well, look at Moses. Moses wasn't that great. He doesn't even want to do God's will. Exactly. Just like us. He doesn't want to do God's plan. Because he knows it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be hard. It's 100% going to be a big headache. And Moses doubts. This isn't his desire. But in the end... After wrestling with God, after having this conversation with God, after praying to God, he does the right thing. Instead of running away, he talks and wrestles with God. And in the wrestling, God changes his heart. He calms Moses' fears, God does. God prepares Moses for the task ahead. God will do that for us, too, if we will be honest and we will wrestle with him. When he invites us to be a part of his work in it feels too big for us to accomplish on our own, and it's kind of scary if we doubt that we could do it. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're discouraged right now. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of what God might be bringing up or asking you to do. Well, tell God about that. Go ahead and wrestle with Him. Be honest with Him. You can be argue with God if you want to. You can be mad at God if you want to. I know some of you... You are mad at God, but you're afraid to admit that you're mad at God. Because from religious background, you think, well, I can't be mad at God. Yeah, you can. A lot of people are. 
In fact, some people are so mad at God, but they repress it. They don't say anything. It causes severe depression in them. So just go ahead and admit it. You're the only one who doesn't realize you're mad at God. God realizes, oh, he's mad. He's ticked at me. You know? And God's not going to be mad at you for being mad at him. God's, God's loving. He wants to encourage you. He wants to use you. He wants you to trust him. He's not going to be mad at you, but you can say, God, this makes me mad. I don't want to do this. Look, prayer is not the prim- The primary use of prayer is not for us to somehow lasso, throw a big lasso around God and drag him down here to do, you know, God, look at this magic Bible verse. If I claim this verse, you've got to come down here. You've got to do what I want you to do. That's not what prayer is about. In fact, if you think that there's a magic Bible verse that you can lasso, leverage God's power and drag him down here, make him do what you want him to do, you have a really little God. My God's the God of this creation. There's no lasso that will reach him, no magic Bible verse that I can twist and turn and get him to do what I want him to do. God's not going to do what Jerry wants him to do or what you want him to do. God's already doing with his plan. He's inviting us to join him in something far bigger than any of us. God says that prayer is going to be used, not primarily for me to bend him to my will, but God uses prayer to bend my will towards him. And it's not just Moses. If you look at all the giants of faith in the Bible, they all come to to a place in their life where they have at least one big crisis of a belief where God says, I want you to do this, And they're like, me? No, I can't do that. And it creates this crisis. Or they say, no, I don't want to do that. So they have their doubts about what God asked them to do that was way bigger than they could handle on their own. And they wrestled with God. Listen, even Jesus experienced this crisis of belief. The night before Jesus was to die on the cross... He's going to go through excruciating pain, humiliation on the cross, death on the cross, so our sins could be forgiven. He knew what God was asking him to do, and Jesus didn't want to do it. Now, before you get all bent out of shape and go, what do you mean? You, who are you saying Jesus? I'm not saying Jesus didn't want to do it. Jesus said he didn't want to do it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before, he wrestles with God to the point where he's sweating droplets of blood. He's wrestling with God. And in fact, this is what Jesus prayed in the New Testament. Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. I don't want to do this. And he wrestles with God. And we know during that wrestling, God's will doesn't bend to Jesus. Jesus bends his will towards God's plan. And by the end of this prayer, Jesus concludes, you know what the the words are. He says, But not my will, Father, but your will be done. In the midst of Jesus' crisis of belief, the disciples also had their own crisis of belief. I mean, the soldiers are about to come. They're about to arrest Jesus. And at that moment, they have a decision to make. Are we going to stay with Jesus? Are we all getting arrested? Are we going to flee? Are we going to... Are we going to run for our lives? Are we going to head for the hills? Spoiler alert, if you haven't read your Bible yet, they run away. They bolt on Jesus. In fact, it's so bad, hardly anyone is there at the cross with him when he gives his life for all of us. 
We're talking about, you know, Matthew and Mark. We're talking about Peter. We're, ta- we're talking about Andrew and Bartholomew. We're talking about the guys. Only one of them. In fact, this Easter I'm going to start a series about who was at the cross. We're going to talk about who was at the cross Easter Sunday and probably four or five weeks after that. It won't take us long to finish that series because there wasn't a lot of them at the cross. Jesus gives them a direction, the disciples, when he's going into the garden. Look what it says in Mark 14, 38. He says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Boy, this, this verse is the verse for all of Keep watch and pray so you won't give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing. In fact, I want you to underline that last line. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. See, when you face a crisis of belief, remember, your spirit might be willing. What that means is when we're all together on Sunday morning, we're ready. Yeah, I want to, do, I want to know God's will and do God's will. When we're all together, we're just saying all these worship songs, and we feel God's presence, and it's like, absolutely, I want to know God's will, I want to do God's will. Yes, Jesus, Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, number, we're ready to roll. But on Monday morning, the flesh is weak, right? On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm out of gas. And God says, when, when you feel that way, before you act, before you run away, before you bolt on his plan, like the disciples did, wrestle with God. Talk to him about it. Let him strengthen your faith. Tell God what your fears are. In fact, get your small group to pray with you. Get other people. Say, hey, guys, I believe this is what God's calling us to do or asking us to do or wants me to do, and I don't want to do it. It's not my plan. I'm afraid. This is scaring me to death. Would you guys all pray for me? That I'll do what God wants me to do. I'll know what he wants me to do and I'll do what God wants me to do. You get them to, to pray. That's the first response to your crisis of belief. Wrestle with God in prayer. Second godly response to that crisis of belief that you're in is number two. That I believe that God will be faithful. We sing about God's faithfulness all the time. We talk about, we see testimonies about God's faithfulness. Every year for the whole month of November, all we do is talk about God's faithfulness to this church in the Stones of Remembrance. Miracle after miracle after miracle, a million little miracles that God has done in the life of our church. If I could tell you about the whole million of them, I would, but it would take all year, not just all month. Remember the first verse we talked about, it's impossible to please God without faith. Our faith pleases God. God wants us to learn to trust in him. That's why sometimes the biggest obstacle to doing God's will is our own doubt. God asks us to do something, but we doubt if he is able to do that with us, if that will actually happen. We doubt that God will come through for us. That's why at some point we have to believe in our heart that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he'll do. That God will... Do what he has promised. And we have to believe that God will come through and help us. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Circle is faithful. God is faithful. God doesn't say, thing and say anything and then renege on that. 
Whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever it is that he's promised, whatever it is he's asked you to do, this, this verse says, hey, God's going to make it happen. He who's called you to do, to do it, he, he is faithful. The question for us is, do we believe that? That God will never invite us to do something that he doesn't equip us to accomplish with him. That God will never ask us to do a task that he won't give us the strength and the resources to make it happen. We've got to believe that. We've got to trust him. Have faith in God. We have to believe that not just that God will do what he says. We have to believe that God's plan is better than our plan. That's what's hard for us. And if we say no to God's plan and we work our plan, we have to realize we're going to suffer the consequences for that. We're going to miss out on God's best for our life. Do you believe that? Great story in the Bible about doubt. I don't have time to teach you a whole story. I'm just going to tell it to you. Mark chapter 9 in the New Testament. There's a father who had a son that he loved very much. That's easy for all of his fathers and all of his parents. to. He has a son that he loves. He loves his son very much. But the son kept having these uncontrollable seizures. And one of the side effects or one of the consequences of these uncontrollable seizures is his son keeps throwing himself into the fire, tries to kill himself. He's so messed up he's trying to kill himself by throwing himself into the fire. And the dad is petrified that he's going to lose his son that he loves so much. The dad hears about Jesus, the rumors and the stories about Jesus healing people. And, I mean, this is kind of his last resort. He can't. Nobody can help his son. He hears about this holy man going around healing people. He's like, I've got I to take my son to go find Jesus. And he takes his son to where Jesus is, or Jesus is supposed to be, and Jesus isn't even there. But his disciples are there. You know, the big 12 are there. Philip's there. You know, Simon is there. John is there. Peter, Peter, even Peter's there. And he says to the disciples, hey, this is the situation. My son's got seizures. He's throwing himself, into the, throwing himself into the fire, and I brought him to be healed by Jesus, and Jesus isn't even here. And they're like, no problem. We're the big 12. We can take care of your son. We're going to heal him. We've seen Jesus do this many times. He's trained us how to do this many times. And they pray, and they try to heal the son, and then there's no, they fail. And you can imagine how dejected the dad is. And the disciples are looking at each other going, I don't understand. And along, along by this time, Jesus walks up. He says, hey, y'all, what's going on? And they're like, well, Jesus, we tried to heal this man's son who keeps having these seizures, throwing stuff into the fire, and this is too big for us. And, and Jesus, the response of Jesus is he, he's frustrated with the disciples. He's like, why don't you believe Jesus is obviously frustrated. He says, why don't you believe, why do you have such little faith, he says to the disciples. Now, the father's like, I don't have time for all this. He kind of cuts through the crowd. Y'all can argue later. He's like, hey, Jesus, will you heal my son if you can? And Jesus turns around. He looks at him. He's like, what do you mean if I can? That's how he says. He says, what do you mean if I can? And the, and, and the father, you can almost see it in the story. You can almost, I've, uh-oh, I've messed this up. He's so desperate. The father who loves his son so much, he wants to believe, but he's so riddled by doubt because he's, he's had his hopes up. And this seems un, unbelievably hard for anybody. And the father prays this prayer. And this is what I want you to get. 
The father prays this prayer. The father of the son who has these seizures who said, if you can, Jesus, and Jesus, what do you mean if? In fact, Jesus says, everything is possible for those who believe in me. And the father who feels like I've messed up my one chance now, he prays this desperate prayer that's a prayer that I have prayed myself many times. You should pray too. Mark 9, 24, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me with my, overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He believes and he doesn't believe at the same time. Don't you feel like that's your Christian life sometime? Like, I, I, I believe, but I don't believe. I, I, I believe, but when it really comes down to it, I don't know if I believe. I have such doubts. I said in the first service, that's how I feel sometimes, is I, I really suck at this Christian life thing. Can I say that a second time on, online? I want to believe, but if I'm honest, man, I'm terrible at this. I don't believe. And his prayer... Isn't this a great prayer? It's a real prayer. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I do believe, but Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. It's both. You, you know those doubts are there, Jesus. And Jesus, here's the, here's the cool thing. Jesus takes this shaky, uncertain belief with all this doubt that's in there, mixed in there, and he heals the son. He's good enough, he heals the son completely. Have you ever been where that father is? Where God is asking you to do something, but man, it makes you afraid, and I've got my doubts, and I doubt that we can actually do this, or that I can actually make this happen, and God, I, I want to believe. You know, on Sunday morning, right after the singing, and, and Kristen or Jennifer prays, and Jerry starts, I, I believe them. Man, it doesn't last. I really want to believe. God, help me overcome my unbelief. God, take my small faith mixed in with all my doubt and help me to have faith. God, I, I know you want my marriage to work, but I just don't know if we can get past this. God, I believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. God, I know what you say in your word. and You want the very best for me, but you know this is our third miscarriage, Lord. God, I believe, but... Help me to overcome my unbelief. Or God, I know what you said. You, you said you'd always be there for me, but, but all of my friends are married. All of my friends are happy. Or at least they appear happy on Facebook. All of my friends are married and all of my friends are happy. And I'm all alone. God, I believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. I pray that prayer all the time. I have doubts. You think, well, you're a pastor. You can't have doubts. Are you kidding me? I have doubts on stuff you haven't even learned about to have doubts about yet. When you pray this prayer, God meets you where you are in the middle of your doubt. And he grows your faith. And he grows your trust in him. You don't have to have perfect faith to experience a miracle. One of those million little miracles. You don't have to have perfect faith. You don't have to have giant faith to have a breakthrough. I know a breakthrough is coming. You don't have to have a giant faith. You just have to have a little faith. God, I believe. Help, my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
And when you face that crisis of belief, don't don't be afraid to wrestle with God and, and talk to him about it. Believe that God is faithful and that he will come through. He always does and he always will. God, take my small belief and help me to overcome my unbelief. That leads us to the third godly response to your crisis of belief. Number three, if you'll write this down. I've got to hold my plans loosely. Hold my plans loosely. That means to hold them with an open hand. In the midst of your crisis of belief, when God is inviting you to join him in what he's doing and his plans, when you're afraid, when you have some doubts, you've got to hold tightly to your faith and hold loosely to your plans. I hold tightly to my faith. Write that down. I hold tightly to my faith and I hold loosely to my plans. It's okay to make plans. It's okay to make plans for your future. But be ready by holding them loosely with an open hand. Be ready in case God wants to change your plans. Like he wants you to do something different than your plans. Proverbs 16.9 says we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You can make your plans, but God is the one who determines the future. One of the biggest temptations that we face... When God asks us to do something, when God says, here's my will, here's what I want you to do, here's the next step. One of the biggest temptations, the crisis of belief, is that all the dreams that we've dreamed, all the plans that we've made, all the desires that we've desired, that they're going to change. And that causes us to hold on to them tighter. There's nothing wrong with dreaming a plan. Dreaming a dream or planning a plan. But here's the thing. God's dreams are far bigger than our dreams. God's plans are far bigger than our plans. He's not just thinking about this the next five years. He's not just thinking about retirement. God has eternal plans for you and for me. And part of his thinking about eternity is he's thinking about not only saving the entire world, but he's thinking about how are my plans going to lead you your kids and their kids and their kids from generation to generation for a thousand. That's that, that's that blessing song we sing. And for a thousand generations, how am I going to impact all of your kids, their kids, their kids, their kids by having you do my will? We're not thinking about that. We're just thinking about how, how am I going to get to retirement or how am I going to get to, you know, to, to, to the season or how am I going to get through the rest of this year? And God says, no, 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 I've got long-range plans, not just for you, but for your children and their children and your children's children. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. God really doesn't need us to dream up big dreams for him, big plans. That's kind of where we're at, right? We're like, hey, God, man, i got this great plan for you. Like, I, I know you've never thought of this. Listen to my big plan. I mean, we're, we're, our plans are so good. We're so much better than God's in our own mind. God just needs us to join him in the plan that he's already been working. It's already bigger than we could ever imagine. Now, the hard truth is that holding our plans loosely may mean that God is going to adjust, change, or replace our plans. James 4.13 says, look, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to 
go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live or do this or that. There may be many of you here today or watching online and you're struggling with this right now. You've got a plan. You've got a dream. And you've been dreaming it for many, many years. And this, this is kind of hard, but I feel like I need to tell you. Maybe that dream that you've been dreaming is not God's plan. Maybe it's just your plan. And you think, yeah, but it, I've got so much invested in this plan. I get it. That's what leads you to this crisis of believing. Is if you hold on to that plan, you cannot receive God's plan. Maybe your plan was, I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to plan it all out, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, my parents said, when I'm an adult, I can do whatever I want to do, so I'm going to do what I want to do. Parents are funny like that, aren't they? <laughs> as long as you're in my house, you're going to do what I want to do. But when you're out on your own, you do whatever you want to do. Like, yeah, you really can't. But here's why you've got to hold your plans loosely. If your plans are not God's plans and you hold on to them tightly for dear life, you will miss out what you were originally created for. And if you miss out on what God has created you for, if you miss out on his plan for your life, eventually you end up frustrated and angry and disappointed, maybe even depressed, because you're not living out who God created you to be. So when you you start, if you're willing to hold on to your faith tightly and hold on to your plans loosely, when you do that and you allow God to replace your plans with his plans sometimes, You're going to be happier, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be fulfilled because God's plans are always better than our plans. Hold your plans loosely and hold your faith tightly and you'll be more fulfilled. All right, here's the final response. When you face this crisis of belief, here's the final, here's my final response. I have to act on what God has told me to do. I have to act. You have this crisis of belief. You wrestle with God in prayer over the plan. You believe he's faithfully going to do what he says that he's going to do. You hold your plans loosely. You hold on to your faith tightly. And then you do it. You act. You do what God's telling you to do. In other words, this is the final step. is an act of faith. It's not just believing God, but it's actually trusting God and acting on that belief. James 2.17 says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Faith without action is dead and useless. Action is the primary difference between belief and faith. Belief is just mentally, and a mental ascent. It's a mental exercise. I believe that. Moses could have said, I believe God wants me to go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. I believe it. I know that God's what, that's what God wants me to do. That's what God said to do. I believe it. But I'm not doing it. And he could have bolted. See, you can believe it 100%, but faith is more than belief. Belief, just mentally. Faith requires I act on that belief. I can believe without faith. But what God's asking you to do today, ultimately, is to obey and to follow to take that step past the crisis of belief 
Well, the question for us is, will you have the faith that leads to action? Will you have faith to trust God enough to act on what he's already shown you? Because belief's not enough. Faith requires action. If you know what God wants you to do, but it's scary, not originally what I planned, I have these doubts, wrestle with him about that. But believe that he will come through for you. And hold your plans loosely. Hold your faith strongly, tightly. But ultimately, you have to step forward and do what God has asked you to do. Deuteronomy 30, 11 says, This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you. And it is not beyond your reach. You can do this. That thing that God is asking you to do today, it's not too difficult. You can do it with his help. You can easily do it. God is saying, trust me. I've got this. Trust me. I've got you. Those are the moments where we decide, do I really trust God? Can I trust that God is really who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do? Well, of course you can trust God. You have to trust him to know his plan for your future. And God's will is so much better than anything that we can dream up on our own. Now, I want to leave you with this final verse. The Israelites, to set the scene, are standing on the opposite side of Jordan River, and they're about to go into the Promised Land. This is what we talk about at Stones of Remembrance in November. You've heard me teach this all, year after year after year. And they know they're going into the Promised Land. It's a beautiful land. It, it, it's a land full of opportunity and blessing and bounty, but they're afraid. They are uncertain. There's an enemy that they're going to face, and the enemy is fierce. And the task before them is bigger than any of them could have ever imagined or that they would ever be able to accomplish on their own. And they're afraid. So God gives them this challenge, and he gives them this promise in this verse. And I want you to let this verse be the same promise and the same challenge that he gave to the Israelites to be the same promise and challenge that he gives to you for whatever crisis of belief you're, you're facing. It's Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. This is what God tells them, and I believe this is what God's telling you. So be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. And do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you, and you will neither fail he will neither fail you nor abandon you. So whatever it is that God is asking you to do that's causing that crisis of belief, ultimately when you're done wrestling and you're done believing in him and you're done you know, struggling with am I going to step forward or not, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't panic before whatever it is that you're facing because your God's going to go ahead of you. And he will neither fail you, nor will he abandon you. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Maybe right now you're going through a crisis of belief in your life. And God has asked you to do something. Or you have this understanding that you feel like God wants you to do something with your life, but you're afraid. You know what God wants you to do. You're afraid and you're uncertain. You're having your doubts. You know you should trust God with your career. You know you should trust Him with that relationship. You know you should trust God with your money. 
and trust Him with your future, with your life. But you're frozen in this crisis of belief. Would you just pray and say to Jesus, say, Jesus, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Would you just pray and say, God, I give you my small faith mixed up with doubts. Please make my faith big. Make it big enough for me to trust you. Maybe right now you're here or you're watching and the biggest crisis of belief you're facing right now is your belief that you can trust God with your life, with your eternity, and with your salvation. Maybe you've been living a life apart from God. You've been doing your own thing. Today, if you're ready to turn around and face God and come to Him, God will receive you. You can experience His purpose and His plan for your life. Just come to God and say, God, I confess that I've lived my life apart from you. Please come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I want to know your will. I want to know why you created me. And God will come into your life and he'll forgive you of your sins. And through Jesus, not only will you have purpose in this life, but you'll also have eternity a home in heaven forever. You say, but my faith isn't perfect. doesn't have to be perfect. You say, I have my doubts. It's okay to have your doubts. Just say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's all we need. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you that we don't have to have perfect faith, that it's not the size of our faith, it's the size of our God that we put our imperfect faith in that makes the difference. We thank you that you're a God that doesn't bow to us and doesn't do our bidding, but that already has a plan. Help us to realize how big of a God you are, how amazing it is that you want to involve us in a relationship with you and then a plan with you for our life. Help us to figure that out and hold our plans with an open hand. And we learn to trust you, learn that your plans are bigger and better than we could have ever had on our own. We love you, Lord. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hi, it's Mel. Now that it's officially spring, you should come and join us in person if you've been strictly an online worshiper. There's nothing like sitting outside, feeling a gentle breeze, and hearing the birds sing while you worship, or if you find that distracting, worship inside and join us outside afterward for fellowship, coffee, and donuts. Our services are at 9 and 1045. Whether you join us in person or online next week, we look forward to meeting with you again. See ya.